And are you good? Like, do you need anything? Do you have water there? Do you need to go to the bathroom before we start? Yeah, we have nope, a few minutes. I, yeah, no, I just went to the, the bathroom. I've got a water right here that I'm going to grab real quick. I'm sitting in a studio in Halifax, Nova Scotia, because it's not yeah. sort of a, one of the global media centers. The man I'm talking to is over 3,000 miles away from me in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Zach Cox is Lori Vallow's nephew. Um, have you been in touch with your dad this morning? Do you know if Yeah, he's... I just... I just spoke with him. He's he's heading over to that studio now because it's 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 right where he works actually. We're waiting for his dad, Adam Cox, to join us. Adam is Lori Vallow's older brother. All right. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Hey, Adam, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> am I sounding low or am I sounding okay? You sound a little low to me. Uh, when was the last time the two of you saw each other? Um, I don't know. It was about year ago, right? Last July? Year and a half? Yeah, it's been about a year. Adam is joining us from St. George, Utah. The father and son are close, and in non-COVID times would see each other often. But over the last two years, they've been drawn together by something else. Their family is at the center of a major international news story. The whole time I've been working on this podcast, I have been trying to figure out how a mother could go so far down a rabbit hole of strange beliefs that it made sense to her to allegedly kill her children. I reached out to so many of Lori's friends and family, including Adam and Zach, but only recently did they agree to sit down and talk to me. JJ and Tylee were Zach's cousins and Adam's niece and nephew. Both men have lost more than most people can imagine losing in a lifetime. Not only did they lose Tylee and JJ, but Adam and Lori's brother, Alex, is also dead and implicated in the children's deaths. And Lori is now in a psychiatric facility. If convicted, she faces life behind bars or, depending on how things go for her, the death penalty. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two, an original podcast by USG Audio. So, I mean, we're almost two years into this story, into this tragedy. Have either of you had contact with Lori since she was arrested? Nope. Uh, no, that's a that's a negative. And do either of you have any idea how she's doing? Have you heard anything about her? Do you know what kind of state she's in? I have not. I do. Lori has been committed to a state psychiatric hospital in Idaho. She's been deemed mentally incompetent and, at least at this point, not able to help with her defense. She will be regularly evaluated, and if found able to, she will end up in court to face charges of murdering her children. So my mom and dad have written Lori in prison, and the letters that they've got back from Lori are that Lori has not changed at all her stand or her persona, but apparently she's not talking to anybody. So at this point... 
she can't defend herself because she doesn't answer any of the questions that they ask her. And when you say she hasn't changed at all, what is she saying in these letters that gives you that sense? From what I what I remember, my mom saying that the letter said that she doesn't talk about Chad, then she won't mention anything to do with the case. So uh, apparently she's still in the same state of mind that she was when all this stuff went down as far as believing that you know she's you know chosen her and Chad are chosen to be whatever the, for the second coming and uh, she's just in that that frame of mind to where she thinks she's special and I think she mentioned the point where when Jesus was taken into prison and he didn't talk. So I think that's the position that she's taking. I think part of the reason that she's in this whole situation is that, you know, with scriptures, they all got twisted up the way that Chad explained things, the way she interpreted things. And um, so I think she's using those kinds of examples to live her life with right now. Do you see one of them as the ringleader, or do you think they were equal partners in all of this? It's equal. Lori was, before she had even met Chad Daybell, knew Chad Daybell, she was listening to podcasts by Julie Rowe. Julie Rowe is a fringe ex-Mormon podcaster who, like Chad and Lori, was focused on preparing for the end times. Chad was doing his thing, and that's why it's kind of the perfect storm. I don't think there was one kind of leading the other. If you kind of look at some of the other cult leaders... Jim Jones, for example, charismatic, people thought he was good looking, he was outgoing. And then you look at Chad and he's got none of those factors, nothing appealing about him. So that's kind of why I'm anti brainwash. And, you know, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And it was the perfect storm for them to combine. I mean, it wasn't one side or the other. You don't think that Chad Daybell was charismatic enough to brainwash Lori? I don't think Chad Daybell is charismatic enough to really brainwash anybody. For some reason, they wanted to be together this, you know, chosen ones in this apocalypse. And then they wanted insurance money and to go maybe live in Hawaii for the rest of the days until they thought uh, Jesus would come back to Earth. Prosecutors believe this, too. That while both Lori and Chad might have believed wholeheartedly that they were special beings on a religious mission there was also an element of this crime that was motivated by money and the desire to be together. I agree with that. But I, do, I will say this with Chad Daybell, even though I don't know a lot about him, that when he met Lori and Alex, they were already, when I say the perfect storm, they were ready to be taken. And Adam, tell me a little bit about the Lori that you knew before everything changed. Oh, uh, Lori was an awesome sister. She was a great sibling. Her and I were super close. As kids, uh, we would always play sports together. I taught her how to play basketball. We swam together. We laughed. We watched TV. You know, as we got older into high school, she became a cheerleader. Everybody wanted to be her friend. She was, you know, a lot of guys were trying to go out with her. She had a lot of things going for her, like a lot. 
And she was always loving and and happy and and smiling and you know was just like a normal sister. So what were things like growing up for you as a family? I mean, it was religious. Uh, we went to church. We weren't the the most strict Mormons, but we had a lot of fun. I mean, I don't think I would change my childhood for anything. I loved it. We grew up in Southern California in a great house in a great neighborhood. We had five kids in our family. We always had friends over. We laughed our heads off. We swam and played sports and just did normal things. We went on family vacations that were fantastic. So what happened? Um, I think I think maybe Lori had been mentally ill, maybe her whole life, a certain type of mental illness that maybe none of us detected. So I'm not diagnosing Lori as being mentally ill when we were younger, but I don't know when mental illness creeps up on you or if you're born with it or I don't know how it all works. But it's obvious to me that Lori has some kind of mental illness. Lori's mental health is still being debated. But people who knew Lori say there's no doubt she underwent a radical personality shift in the years before JJ and Tylee were murdered. Zach witnessed those changes up close. I lived with Lori Charles... Tylee and JJ from December of 2017 to about January of 2019. Charles was Lori's fourth husband, and he was killed by Lori's brother, Alex, in 2019. Lori, during that time, was really at the temple almost every day for, like, it was a full-time job, the church of the LDS temple in Gilbert. She was there for a good six hours a day. So... When she wasn't doing stuff and was back at the house, I mean, she was friendly and, you know, just making dinner and she was nice to everyone and fun to be around. That whole family was like a second family for me and, um, you know, got to live with them and and be in the house and kind of experience what it's like to have siblings. And it, it was a second home, second family for me. So Looking back now, are there good memories you still have of the time you spent with Lori, or does everything feel compromised to you? I mean, I don't really uh, look back and think on it because I just don't. Uh, I don't have any empathy for Lori or anyone that thinks that you know she's brainwashed or you know she's not at fault things i just don't have empathy so i don't look back on those things i've moved forward from it i'm frustrated because it seems like some people don't no one's taken accountability when i feel like if you know the family including myself i i wish there's a lot of things i would have done different in uh 2019 when things were kind of going downhill and before Charles was killed. And what do you wish you'd done or said? I just wish that, you know, I would have said something sooner. And, you know, if I had had done that, maybe they would have listened earlier and, and things would be different if, you know, we would all would have done something to help Lori or stop her or whatever the case is. I believed in God despite what I was going through. And now that I can read the Bible for myself, I can see that they just created their own religion. This is the story of a mother who claimed to be an emissary of God. 
and a daughter's search for the truth. House of Prayer. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me a little bit about the relationship you had with JJ and Tylee. Can you tell me who they were and how you remember them now? Yeah, they, uh, that was like my little brother and my little sister. So Tylee was, I think, 15 turning 16 when I had first moved there. And we would go driving around the neighborhood when she had her permit. And and we would go get food late at night and we would go to the movies and hang out. And it really opened up this opportunity for me to connect with Tylee. Um, she just, she, she was really fun to be around for me. And she was really one of my only friends in Arizona at the time. So I got to spend a lot of time with her and JJ and JJ was always super loud running around. He He's always just happy. He loved Peppa Pig. He had a Peppa Pig pillow, Peppa Pig suitcase, Peppa Pig everything. So he didn't really speak in sentences, but he would watch airplane videos on YouTube and he'd be able to point out like what type of airplane it was. He'd be like Boeing or, or 757. And I'm like, what in the world? How do you know this? And they had this service dog, Bailey, that he would play with. And so I had a really positive, loving experience with the both of them while I was there. And Tylee really looked out for JJ. Yeah, she she loved JJ. And she always, you know, had her Snapchat out with filters for him. And he loved to just look at himself on a camera with a filter on. And he could sit there for hours, which if he was being crazy, that was perfect for him because he'd just sit there and have the time of his life. Take me back to the time when the kids went missing. No one knew what had happened to them, but we were getting some indications that Lori wasn't being cooperative. Can you tell me about what that was like for your family? What did you do with that situation? Well, I, after knowing what Lori and Alex were were going through with these people that were talking about the end of the world and knowing how Lori was. And Lori talked about death a lot, actually. Talked about the next life, how great the next life is and um, how it's going to be perfect and how um, her kids will, won't have to suffer in the next life. And, and then I thought, if you're going to, Lori, you tell me where these kids are. If she says, well, I'm not going to tell you where the kids are, that means the kids aren't alive. And I knew right then and there that the kids were dead. And I told Zach, I told everybody, the kids are not alive. So it's hard for me because I knew in my heart that the kids were dead. And my mom and everybody thought the kids were alive. They thought that they were hiding. Lori was hiding them somewhere in Hawaii. And so it was just the whole thing was just very, very lonely frustrating, all the things that you can add on top of that. I would talk about them in present tense. It it was just too hard, I think, to not until it was official. Um, But every sign, you know, obviously it got worse and worse as the search went on. When you got this news that the kids were missing, no one could find JJ and Tylee and Lori wouldn't help. Both of you were instantly struck by the idea that Lori could have been capable of harming them. Oh, yeah. And we we were together when we had found out. I just, that day, I just was sick. I mean, I, like, I I don't get where I I don't want to do anything, and I try not to be down on myself, but I just did not want to move a muscle. 
And I just remember sitting there and just devastated. And obviously we didn't know kind of any of the context yet about what had happened to them, but that they had been found. And, you know, my mind was just racing, like what, what had happened, but no doubt that, you know, they, they were a part of it. And tell me about your grief. I mean, how are you doing with the loss of your cousins? If I'm being honest, there are times that it really hits and I, I just sit there and just am frozen about it. But I don't really think it's fully hit yet. I mean, I've, I've been devastated and I'm going one day at a time and it's been really, really hard on me. It's hard on me to think about what happened, especially how they found the kids. Um, it's hard for me to think that all this had happened. <coughs> and it's just, it's one day at a time, but I'm, I've had days where I felt like it was fully hitting and I just, it's, it's one of the worst feelings I think that I've ever felt. And then there are days where I'm just thinking about good times with them and memories. So to be honest, I'm not sure if when it's going to fully hit, but I have had a, I've had a hard time these past two years. Yeah. And Adam, for you, I mean, your niece and nephew, your sister is in prison, your brother is dead. How are you dealing with all of this? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I have, like Zach said, there's days, but I, I think I still am, am what somewhat shock and don't know really how to, like in my mind, I know what happened in real life, but there's also part of me in my mind is like that this just didn't happen. You know, it's it, even though I, I know it did and it's a real thing that maybe my block mechanism to block this from being crushed and devastated and not ever getting out of my bed or that I'm deflecting. And so I, I try to get up every day and try to be normal. But like Zach said, there's days where I'll just lay in bed and just not want to get out. And when you do think of the kids now, what do you think about? What do you think about when you think about Tylee and JJ when their sort of memory comes to you? Oh, so... I, I don't know. With Tylee, her and I became pretty close the last. When she was younger, I would always like kiss her kiss her cheeks because she had big chubby cheeks. And I'd kiss her cheeks and she would get all upset. And then she I would say, okay, well, let me take the kiss off. And so I'd go and I'd kiss her again to take it off. <laughs> and then uh, someone would tell her, Tylee, he just got two kisses off your cheeks. And she would get mad, and, and she was kind of like younger. When she was younger, she was a little angry at, at life. And I'm sure she had every right to be angry at life because Lori had married. She had Joe and then and then Charles. And I don't think Tylee and Charles got along very well and uh, for a while. And so, But when she became a teenager, she, she became more and more open to uh, nice, and, and she was understanding and, and had a different personality and wanted to hang out. And I remember... I remember making her laugh really hard uh, playing a card game with her and just saying stupid things to make her laugh. And uh, I think she really enjoyed those times. Um, and those are the kind of things I try to remember are those things.
What did the rest of your family make of these increasingly extreme views that Lori had? Did they agree with any of them? Did they sort of write it off? What was the reaction? She didn't really tell the family because she knew the only people she would tell was Al and then me and Charles. Because Charles and I had discussed, you know, what Lori was saying. And, you know, at the time we had said, look, you know, she's coming home. She's making dinner. She's picking up JJ from school. You know, she can believe whatever she wants to believe. But our thing was we would just nod our head and say yeah to her. And that's one of the things I regret. Also with Lori, when I went to go visit. And this is when Lori is in the prime of her transformation of where she was. And now that, you know, and nobody knew that she was secretly talking to Chad Daybell or seeing him or whatever. We didn't know any of this, but we were standing in the kitchen and Lori told me that she was becoming a translated being. And I told her, no, you're not. And she looked at me and she goes, you think I'm crazy, don't you? I said, Lori, I don't know if you're crazy, but I know what you're telling me isn't true. And from that point forward, from that night forward, she cut me off. Lori might have cut off Adam, but she and Alex continue to try to pull Zach into their deepening extremism. I can't remember when Al offered me, but the book was a Chad Daybell book. And Al had said that this book was written from heaven and then delivered by angels to the authors. The author's an angel in heaven, but delivered to the actual publishing author, which was Chad Daybell, his doorstep in like glowing white pages, and to publish this this book because it's a true story written by angels. I think the, the book was about someone who died and was trying to get her family to go back to church as an angel. Um, so I'll give you a hundred bucks if you read it. And I was like... Well, I need a hundred bucks. So I just Googled it, kind of read the back of the book, everything I could find, told Al, yeah, a cool story about, you know, how he delivers it, things like that. And Al gave me a hundred bucks, but I never read the book. I mean, Lori and Alex's gravitation to these beliefs must have fulfilled them in some way. You know, they were both heading in this direction together, even if Lori kind of pulled him along. Do you either of you have any sense of what they were looking for in all of this, what kind of hole they were trying to fill, what kind of need they had that was fulfilled by this kind of radical perspective? I think the reason, you're asking what the reason is, what's the hole in their lives? With Lori obviously marrying uh, four different guys, um, having her life not turn out the way that she probably thought it would or wanted it to, I'm sure she had a lot of needs in her life to do something special. But it feels like, at least for Lori, that she had something that she needed to do to make up for what maybe the decisions that she's made in her life. And as for Alex, you know, Alex had a ton of talent. He could have been like a he could have been an impressionist in Las Vegas making millions of dollars. I mean, he was talented, but he had no ambition and he was a loner. And so he he I think he wanted to be have someone tell him, hey. You're important. So when Chad Daybell told Alex that he was an angel that showed himself to Nephi uh, in the Book of Mormon when Nephi was getting beat up by his brothers, Chad Daybell somehow convinced Alex that he was that angel back in the day because Lori and Chad believes in uh, all these probations that you just keep living and dying and living and dying and coming back and coming back and coming back. So for Alex to feel like, 
you know, I really haven't done anything with my life. I'm a truck driver. I drove a porta potty. People kind of like, you know, I've done a few little things with stand up comedy. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Uh, I got excommunicated from the church twice. Um, so he had a lot of bad things happen to him where he, the hole in his life, I feel, is that he wanted to feel needed, like somebody needed him. And when Chad put his hands on his head and gave him a blessing and told him like he was their protecting angel, that he was their warrior angel for him and Lori to do their mission, I'm sure that he felt like, oh, I'm finally going to get to do something and do something that is good. And they need me and I'm, I'm wanted and I'm a special person. So then whatever the directions that Lori and Chad told Alex to do, he was all in at that point. The Daybell children recently did a TV interview where they say that their father was framed, that Lori and Alex buried Tylee and JJ in Chad's backyard in order to make Chad look guilty. What do you think about that allegation? Both families are trying to blame the other party that Chad brainwashed Lori and then that Lori and Al are trying to frame Chad when in reality, everybody just needs to hold these things accountable. This this is your family. When you think about Lori now, is there sort of a before and after Lori? Does it feel like she slipped away from all of you at some point? Yeah, there is. You know, I have some great memories of me and Lori. And, you know, we went on family vacations together. Uh, We did birthday parties together. We sang karaoke. I mean, there's just, there's so many good things and things that we laughed at and just had great conversations. There's all those things. It does put mud on a lot of it. And it's, and uh, it's hard to discern from the old Lori to the, this Lori that people are just now finding out. So I'm not sure how to think about it or to actually feel about it because in one part of my heart, I love her with all my heart. And the other part of my heart is torn in half because I, I'm just so overwhelmed and devastated and she's torn our whole family apart. Like we don't, our family is not even close, not even close to being close. And because of her decisions, it's the ripple effect is unbelievable about what it's done to our family. Do both of you want to see Lori declared competent and to stand trial? Oh, I'm I she she's been competent. You know, she's they're they're pushing this off. I'm not sure if, you know, Lori's going to switch on turn on Chad and Chad's going to turn on Lori. I'm not sure, you know, what their plans are, but you know, the whole court process and legal stuff, it just is a mess and it takes forever. So hopefully we can just get you know, back on the road and and go through these trials and, you know, get justice for the kids. Unfortunately for me, I don't know if I feel the same way Zach does, only because I don't know what mental illness does to people. And I don't know what it does to your brain. I don't know how you function, how you feel. I don't know what it does to your feelings. I don't know what it does to your process. Uh, I just don't know enough about her mental illness state. I really don't. And in If I did, I would be able to answer that question. But since I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with Lori. If she's going to go to jail the rest of her life or she's going to be in an insane asylum the rest of her life, something is going to happen. But I just don't know what it is. 
So whatever that is, she'll be accountable for it. Hopefully jail. And Adam, what does justice for JJ and Tylee look like to you? I don't know if there is justice for them. To me, there is no justice. There's no justice. No matter what happens, there's no justice for them. And what do you think that Lori deserves? That's not for me to, to that's for the Lord to decide. Uh, she, she, it's, it's life in prison or, or death penalty. It's not for the Lord. I think that's ridiculous to say right now, if I'm being honest with you. This episode was produced by Beth Karras and me, Sarah Trelevin. Our associate producer is Alexis Green. Our production assistant is Danya Ali. Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Voice coaching by Athena Karkanis. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstadt, and Stuart Cox. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Theme music composed by Boombox Sound. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. For more information, go to usgaudio.com.